Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And welcome to the Sages Among Us on Wednesday, September 9th. I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today is Bill Drake. Bill is the author of Almost Hereditary, A White Southerner's Journey Out of Racism. And as a descendant of slave owners, he's a determined social justice advocate in our community and beyond. So, Bill, uh, welcome to the hot seat on The Sages Among Us. Uh, thank you, Keith. I appreciate being on your show, and my gratitude to all the KVMR listeners that tune in and make everything possible. Absolutely. Well, it would be lovely to be across the desk from you here, but uh, you're on the phone and I'm in the studio, and that's the way we do it these days. Uh, so uh, we'll do it the best we can and uh, make the most of it. Uh, so let me give people a little bit of background about you, just real briefly before we get started. You were born in 1945, raised in uh, Virginia. You're a Southerner. Uh, you were raised as a white supremacist. Your mom was from Mississippi. She was a descendant of slave owners and plantation landowners. You went to white private schools primarily. You went to Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech was a transformative time for you. Um, and uh, in that time, you had kind of an epiphany about racism as a teenager. Uh, you went on to deliberately kind of avoid a business career track, which your father probably would have applauded you for, but uh, decided to become an educator and focus on social justice advocacy. Uh, you uh, came to Nevada County as a young man in the 70s, and um, from there on, the rest is history, I think. So how's that? Is that a brief synopsis of your uh, your, your early career and life? That's not too bad. It's a pretty good overview. Yeah. <laughs> You did well. All right. Well, you write in detail in your book, and I, I think your book was wonderful. I really enjoyed reading. It had so many different aspects to it, but we'll talk about that. But you wrote about growing up in Norfolk and how your early life experiences influenced your early life. Um, briefly, how would you summarize your childhood? Did, did I do that adequately, or is there more to say? Yeah, I, I think you did pretty good. I, I uh, was raised to be a Southerner who believed in white supremacy, and that was a certainly central factor in my childhood. Um, you know, it was the Jim Crow South, so, um, of course, racism was the law of the land. And uh, it, personally, I was a pretty insecure kid. I was kind of introverted in my own way and um, struggled in school and was a little depressed at home. So there, there were other variables going on there, too, but certainly uh, the, the southern end of it, the racist end of it, um, was a, a a major theme in my childhood and early conditioning training as I was growing up. So uh, I'm guessing then from what you said, you probably weren't particularly rebellious child, but did you get any, <laughs> into any kind of memorable trouble? Anything you can remember uh, getting scolded for? Uh, not so much. I, I was uh, My mother was very moralistic, and I was too, uh, for the most part. Um, and I... And I remember a time when I was in uh, elementary school and I found a pencil on the floor and I took it home and I felt so guilty I took it back the next day. But um, that's not to say I didn't do things that were troublesome. Um, there were times in my teenage years I did some things that were hurtful to black people, which uh, were deeply unfortunate. It came out of my belief system, uh, for example, 
driving through a black neighborhood and yelling derogatory names. Uh, and that was just part of my world in a sense of, of ignorance and not knowing. And so there were things I did that were troublesome There would be trouble, but not that I got in trouble for in that sense. Right. And, okay. um, and, and uh, do I, I recall, I think you wrote about uh, actually writing a letter of apology to you, the community uh, later uh, for those actions? Oh, that's correct. Yeah, I wrote a letter of apology to the black community in Norfolk, Virginia, that I had published in the paper um, some years ago, which was the only thing I could really do to try to uh, atone for, for that and try and apologize to the black community. Oh, that's a must. That must have touched a lot of people to have, uh, have experienced that. Probably on both sides of the racial uh, spectrum, I'm sure. But uh, interesting thing to do. Uh, well, you wrote that you, as a child, you saw white people at the movies, at the dentist, at church. Um, I'm wondering, did you ever have a black friend as a kid? Um, well, that would really be un- pretty much unheard of in my world. Um, and actually, I was surprised that my mother let me go to a bar mitzvah from with a Jewish friend because our, our family not only were we deeply prejudiced against black people and that was the strongest prejudice but also the Catholics and Jews and foreigners and because of the Civil War and Northerners so at least about 10 people you can relate to, actually. Yeah. And that, that's, but, but, yeah. that's one of the things I, I, I experienced in reading your book. As a northerner, uh, I, I guess Californians can call themselves northerners. I wasn't northern at the time. But <laughs> that, northern California. Yeah. I mean, somebody who appreciated Abraham Lincoln, and I, I would have been someone not thought highly of by your family, I suppose. That, that, that was news <laughs> to me. You know, it never struck me before. I just never had that insight. Sure. But, you know, operating like you did in a world of white people, you you obviously knew black people were around. They were there. But where did you think they were if they weren't with you at church, at the movies and that sort of thing? And did that cause you to think about how they were being treated uh, differently? I think to some extent I didn't connect all the dots in my world. Um, They were black men that worked for my grandfather who had a – a company that made chemicals for the textile trade. So they, you know, and we had two maids that worked for my family. So they were black people on some level, but of course they were uh, servants and, um, you know, working people. But I didn't, um, I'm not sure I thought a lot about the fact that my world was so white. It just didn't really occurred to me in that sense. There was sort of a, an unconsciousness about it. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I knew about segregation, of course, and uh, in the eighth grade, I um, ended up going to a, a school where there was actually one black child because of, of court order. Um, there was a whole school system in Virginia that uh, closed their whole schools for five years to avoid integration. So it, Clearly, uh, that was an issue, but, you know, I don't think I fully grasped at that time the reality of what it all meant. Um, you know, it was more in, in looking back as I got older. And, um, yeah, it, it was mm-hmm. yeah very strange when, when I look back on it, because my world was so completely white in, in a sense. All right. 
Well, you, you've written about uh, visiting your grandmother at her home in Mississippi uh, in the Delta where your ancestors owned uh, plantations and you saw receipts for slaves owned by your great-great-grandfather. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, what, what you thought of that at, at the time when you saw these receipts for something that counted people as property. What, what, was, what did sure. you think? Yeah, well, that was, um, I was pretty young at the time. Uh, I was with my mother and visiting her mother. Um, and she, my mother was very proud of these slave receipts. And um, I remember sitting on a, a sofa with my mother in, in this, my grandmother's home in Mississippi. And she was handing me these things to look at. And for me, it was just as a child, you know, it was just my world. So I, I didn't really question aspects of it like right. that so it was it was um a little in a way a sense of interest and mystery and awe um and then several decades later when i was writing my book i got copies of those same slave receipts from the mississippi department of archives and history and at that point of course you know it was looking at something with horror that this represented owning human beings as a child it was just kind of a mysterious thing that was part of my family heritage that we were proud of. Right. Well, and, and since you had a very different perspective later on as you were uh, getting materials together, writing the book and so forth, uh, tell us about what changed for you. Um, you. You wrote about a simple conversation that changed your life and a, a simple experience. Tell, tell us about that, th- those experiences and why it ended up making such a difference in your life. Sure. Uh, when I was 17, I, I was in military high school uh, in Virginia, and I had um, a cousin from Mississippi that was sent up to go to school uh, with me at the same time. And uh, there, there are two experiences here, and this is the first one. Uh, we were taking a bus across Virginia. This is 1962. And at that time, I think it, uh, the federal law had mandated this was probably an interstate bus, and they, they had to uh, be integrated and allow open seating, contrary to how things had been before that. And we were riding on this bus, and there happened to be a black woman that sat in front of my cousin. And for him, you know, that was just outrageous. You know, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been allowed in Mississippi, and it wasn't allowed throughout his uh, upbringing, and he spent the whole bus ride kicking the back of her seat. Mm. And for myself, I was a little older than when I did things that were racist myself, so I had a a little more maturity, and I was also observing something, and it brought up a conflict in me between, you know, well, it's whites that are supposed to be superior, but then, you know, there's there was also the whole area of kindness that my mother emphasized, even though it can be a contradiction there. And it kind of, it brought up a conflict that I think worked on me for about a year. And then one year after that, I was riding in a car with one of my brothers and I just, out of the blue, I said, Fletcher, is it right for us to look down on people because they're a different race from us? And his, the only thing he said was the word no, but it, gave me permission to let go of that belief system. It still took me some time to realize I had racism because it was sort of like like this kind of release in a way. It was like, wow, I'm healed, you know. Uh, 
you know, it was like having to learn that there's still a lot of racism in there within myself, but I could let go of the belief in, in that whole system of white supremacy and racism. So uh-huh. that was the most important conversation of my life, and his end of it was one word. That that's but that's profound. I mean, that's uh, that's amazing that it uh, that it had that kind of an impact on you, and that it was that simple, really, when you came right down to it. You're listening to the Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter. I'm talking today with Bill Drake. Bill's the author of Almost Hereditary: A White Southerner's Journey Out of Racism, who is also a descendant of slave owners, and he's a determined social justice advocate in our community and beyond. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, uh, you have wrote about uh, your college years at Virginia Tech where you, you went into college as one person and came out somebody entirely differently, a major transition. So what stands out in your memory about that part of your life? Why, what happened to you in those years? Yeah, and uh, I mean, it was the late 60s. I, mean, I started college in 1965, and um, it was yeah, in a way, I look back on, on it with gratitude, and it was really had to do with the times that were happening. And it, it kind of, in sense, I went in a very conservative um, young man, and partly through influences of people that I knew and, and met, uh, I came to question the Vietnam War, uh, had some involvement with drugs at that time, and Kind of, you could look at, and I'm not an advocate of drugs, but at that time, you know, marijuana was 20 to 40 years in prison. It was in the same statutes with opium and heroin. And uh, I think a lot of young people at that time started to question authority, if you will, and the things that we've been taught. And, you know, part of that was a war. It was a time of a lot of upheaval. And it really changed my whole life around to where... When I came out of college, it was, you know, while I was in college, I was very involved in the war protests and the students' rights movement. And when I came out, you know, a part of my life was devoted to social justice and social change. And from then on, I spent um, quite a lot of time off and on uh, starting and working with environmental groups and anti-nuclear groups and things of that nature. You know, I just, it, I just came out a very totally different person, and I'm personally grateful for that. All right. So, and then, what, about eight or ten years after graduating from college, you found your way to Northern California. What, what brought you to Nevada County? Well, I kind of think of some aspects of our life as simple twists of fate, in a sense. And um, it had to do with a friend of mine that um, I met at Virginia Tech, who was from California, and, you know, he ha- owned some property near Colfax, and it just was, I was just drawn to move out here to live on his land. So I moved out here from actually Cleveland, where I was living at the time, uh, in 1974 to um, Placer County, where he lived on, on his property, and lived there for 14 years before I moved to Nevada City 30 years ago. Okay, well, all all part of our neighborhood, but uh, it's uh, it's wonderful that fate brought you here from uh, the point of view of what you've done for our community and uh, the kinds of uh, the kinds of things you help us think about. So uh, we're very happy about that. Um, I want to talk 
more about your life's work in social justice and the healing the negative impacts of prejudice and your involvement in the community. But a couple more personal questions, if I can. Um, Is there an accomplishment or a role in your life that you're especially pleased with or proud of? Well, uh, uh, there are a couple of groups I've been involved with. The one is Friends of Sierra Rock Art that works to protect Native American cultural resources, and it's a group that some of us founded in 1990, and uh, it's a group I still work with. And we were very, we've been very active in public education and also protecting sites. And at one point, um, some years ago, the Society for California Archaeology awarded us um, the Helen Smith Award, which was for significant contributions to California archaeology. And that was um, about, we were the first non-professional group to be given that award out of about 40 different groups. So uh-huh. that was That's that a- was something I felt good about. And, you know, it was certainly due to effort of a number of people. And, um, you know, we accomplished a lot. And I appreciate that that was acknowledged. Very impressive. So, you know, most of us that live in this area don't go around seeing rock art. We're probably not even aware that it's there in many cases. Um, is there a lot of rock art in our area? And what what caused you to become interested in that? And it's, yeah, that's um, yeah, actually from the time I was 18, you know, I was very influenced and interested in Native American history and culture and spirituality, uh, taught Native American culture seminars and alternative schools in the 70s, and it's, it's an area I've been involved in all my life, so it kind of ended up at some point being involved in petroglyphs in the Sierra, and, and the fact is that in our region on the Tahoe National Forest, which we work with a lot, there, there are a lot of very ancient rock art sites or petroglyph sites that go back to 580 to 2000 B.C., and are as old as the pyramids, oh. and they, they're most of them at the higher elevation. But they were um, a lot of them are by um, an ancient people that used to go back and forth over the Sierra. That are ancestors of the modern day Washoe people. Um, but yeah, there's like within an hour of Nevada City that you know are two to four thousand years old. You know, it's pretty pretty phenomenal. Well, I'm guessing that part of uh, protecting them is not making people aware of where they are, uh, just so that they they stay anonymous. Uh, That's a subject for another time. I'd love to go into it in more detail, uh, but uh, let's stick with (laughs) with the the other subjects, and that's that's something you're proud of. Anything, conversely, that you'd care to share about your life that you'd do differently in retrospect, if you could do it all over again? Well, actually, it always amazes me when, you know, you read about people who are about to die and they're looking back on their life and they say they wouldn't change a thing and you know I do look at things I've done uh, back in my younger years that were hurtful to people or driving through that black community and um, you know if I could change those I would you know there's certainly you know there's not a lot of things but there's some things that I would definitely change if I had the opportunity well that sounds like an honest reflection to me uh, you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter. I'm talking today with Bill Drake, who's the author of Almost Hereditary, A White Southerner's Journey Out of Racism, and a social justice advocate right here in our community. Um, so 
you've, you've experienced a wide variety of involvements in our community. I know you worked at Briar Patch Food Co-op for a while. You've broadcasted on KVMR. You've led workshops. Uh, what part of your involvements in our community do you enjoy most? Okay. Um, yeah, it's a hard question in a way because sometimes related to the anti-bias group I work with uh, have been very fulfilling. But I did spend... Um, at the Briar Patch Community Market uh, Food Co-op. I worked for the last 10 years in their new store, and I I worked with them before that. But I worked in customer service in that particular store, the new store in Stewart College, and um, did customer service trainings. And I would say I found that one probably the most fulfilling job I've ever had, certainly. Uh, And for me, it's looking at how you help other people and in terms of a store whether they buy anything or not if, if you're if you're helping someone or being nice to them because you want them to buy something then it's not really pure customer service in my view and of course most customer service trainings relate to techniques and stuff but for me it was really coming from the heart and helping other people meet their needs as best you could and yeah, I really love doing that. I love teaching that, and I would say that's probably the most meaningful thing I've done. Well, I know that uh, your relationship at Briar Patch Co-op, my, my wife was a, became acquainted with you there because she does most of the shopping at Briar Patch and uh, told me about you. That's how uh, we connected, actually. So, uh, yeah, it was an influential position for sure. So you mentioned your your group uh, on um, moving beyond bias. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. The name of the group, as I understand it, is Creating Communities Beyond Violence. Is that correct? Uh, beyond bias. Bias, sorry, of course. Beyond uh, violence yeah. is the other group in town, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, CCBB, Green Communities Beyond Bias. And um, actually, uh, Jamal Walker and I co founded it in 2011. And it came out of um, on the July 4th weekend. And Jamal and I worked together at the Briar Patch. <clears throat> Excuse me. And July 4th weekend, there was an article in the Union newspaper uh, by the uh, mayor of Grass Valley called Apology to Martin's Family. And the article was about an Hispanic family that got jeered out of a local park in, uh, in Grass Valley. And I saw that article and was just stunned. And Jamal and I got together to talk about it, and it was out of that that, you know, we wanted to create an organization that would help bring change to the community and help work towards more acceptance of diversity. And uh, that's kind of evolved to be creating communities beyond bias. So that's that's kind of how we got our start initially. uh, We've done a lot of work with schools and uh, workshops on unlearning prejudice and panels at Nevada Union High School and uh, different things of that nature. Excellent. So what are the personal rewards for you from all of that civic engagement? What what makes it all worthwhile to you personally? I would say it comes particularly from seeing young people become more aware and make changes. Um one example is uh, we, we approached Nevada Union High School about um, an idea for a project where our senior 
a senior would do a senior project related to empathy. And it's looking at empathy as a, a fundamental area where, you know, if you don't have empathy, it's easier to do bullying. It's easier to do racist things. You know, it, it's sort of a foundational area. If you can be empathetic, then there's less prejudice, less abuse of others. And there was a young um, a college, uh, well, a uh, senior at NU, and she took this project on and, that was her whole year senior project was trying to bring more empathy to the school. And she created a slideshow. She did a whole presentation to all the freshmen. You know, she did a lot of other things as well. And just to, to see that kind of thing happen and to sometimes see students in workshops that get kind of major awarenesses and understandings, you know, those things are, I would say, really what make it worthwhile that are, and that are very fulfilling. Excellent. So, uh, Bill, your book contains an amazing collection of research into your family's early history as slave owners, the impacts of the Civil War, Restoration and Jim Crow, all of those eras, and our nation's many successes and failures to create true civil rights and eliminate the effects of racism. Um, uh, I was very impressed. I learned a great deal, actually, that, you know, I, I knew the history in general, but not a lot of the detail, and I really learned a lot. Uh, you say you started writing the book in the early 2000s, but you, after months of work, you set it aside, and um, and then you picked it up again um, a, a number of years later. But tell us about the book and why you set it aside and uh, why you were compelled to pick it up again and finish it. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I wrote it about 15 years ago. It was 98% finished, and I actually did a workshop with someone named Byron Katie, and it was a personal growth workshop, and it was just uh, it made me look at characters in the book, real-life characters, and the ways that I was looking at them uh, judgmentally and harshly. And I kind of realized that I wanted to have a softer stance in some ways with some of these characters out of just my own personal growth. And so at that point, it was really not quite the book I wanted to write, and I put it aside. And then in January of 2011, on Martin Luther King Day, about 10 years later, I wrote an article for the front page of the Union newspaper about my family history. And in doing that, I was talking with the, uh, the editor of the paper, and, you know, he learned I had this manuscript I'd written. He asked to read it, and then he came back to me and he said, you should publish this. And then I had another person... Uh, tell me the same thing and then we were also creating our organization Jamal and I and uh, it was just time to pick it up again and then go through the process of rewriting it and it, it came out a much different book but uh, yeah I ended up rewriting a great deal of it but that's kind of how it came to be at the present point. Well, I, as I said, I really learned a lot and appreciated reading it very much. So uh, it, it's still available. People can uh, find it locally in bookstores, I assume, and probably on Amazon and other book retailers. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. In, in uh, Western Nevada County, it's at Harmony Books and SDB and Bookseller, uh, but also on Amazon as an e-book or, or a print book. So, yeah, and, either one of those things. And there's more information about it on my website. Yes, tell us, tell us the website. Yes, www.feelracism.com. And say, say that again. What, what, 
I'm sorry because uh, the, the audio is not great with uh, the phone connection, but say that again. Uh, it's uh, www.healracism, H-E-A-L racism.com. Healracism.com. Great. Yeah. Well, in our last minute or so, Bill, what's your perspective on the situation in our community about racial uh, tensions, uh, Black Lives Matter, the little protest uh, altercation that happened in Nevada City a few weeks ago? What, what's your view? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? And what can we do as a community to do better? Well, there's clearly some division in our community. I'm hoping that uh, there'll be a resolution with that. Uh, I know Jamal Walker is the... Um, community liaison for the city of Grass Valley, and uh, they're working on trying to have more communication between different groups, uh, Blue Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, try and find some common ground and uh, hopefully reach, you know, a point of feeling uh, less tension between different factions. So, you know, I'm hopeful that that can happen. It's just a slow process. Well, I'll join you in that hope, and I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with us today. There's so much more we could have talked about, but uh, it's been a wonderful conversation from our perspective. So, Bill Drake, thank you for helping us better understand who you are, sharing your insights about making our community and our world a better place. Uh, if you'd well, like to learn, you very much, it's great to have you here, Bill. And by the way, your partner, Jamal Walker, in uh, Creating Communities Beyond Bias is going to be my guest in October. So we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about this topic and his perspectives. So thank, thanks very much. Great. You've been listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. Uh, and I've been talking with Bill Drake, who's the author of Almost Hereditary, A White Southerner's Journey Out of Racism. Thanks for joining us and thanks for everything you do to make your community great. 